So I got these today. This is pretty exciting. And it also encourages me as a pastor, like, so it's helpful because what you don't realize is that in today's sermon, I have a lobster tail illustration. So it's going to be great. Next week is going to be legit. I'm excited. That was great. I was thankful to receive that from our sound team. Well, turn in your Bibles or in your Bible app to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. We are in a sermon series that is taking us, uh, or keeping us in the book of Proverbs, not going through every one, but throughout the whole summer, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at different Proverbs, gleaning wisdom so that we can apply God's word to our daily lives from this wonderful, wonderful book. Now, a couple of weeks ago, you may recall that Pastor Brad said, hey, let's try something new. We're going to read scripture, and at the end of it, I'm going to say the word of the Lord, and you'll respond, thanks be to God. Now, that's not just something to, like, tickle the former Catholics in the room like me. There's actually a helpful reason to do that, and here's why. I'm bouncing around all over the stage, hopefully preaching to you something that is helpful, that is from God's word. I'm talking to you about smoke-filled bowling alleys and Mike and Ike's and Three Musketeers. That's all well and good. That's not the word of God. It does us well to pause and say, you know what? For the next 60 seconds, as I read this portion of Scripture, you are hearing the infallible, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient Word of God. 168 hours in a week, lots of busyness, we do lots of things, we say lots of things, we hear lots of things. Where words are many, sin is not absent. By us just doing this little thing, On a weekly basis, a little thing when we gather together to read the word of God and to say, hey, this is the word of God. And for us to respond and say, thanks be to God. Thank you, Lord, for your indescribable gift of your son, of the word made flesh that dwelled among us. It does our hearts a good thing. Does that make sense? So we're going to try that today. We're going to read from Proverbs chapter 3. If you're physically able, would you please stand in the honor of God's holy word? Follow along silently as I read aloud Proverbs 3. Uh, Verses 1 through 12. This is what the word of God says. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh And refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Last week we looked at 
some wisdom for parenting from this book of, uh, of, of wisdom, this book of Proverbs. And we looked at one verse the whole time, Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. One of the things that I sought to highlight for you, hopefully you remember, is that it's Proverbs 22.6, not Promise 22.6. It's Proverbs 22.6, not Promise 22.6. And misinterpreting Proverbs 22.6 as Promise 22.6 may lead you to be what I called a vending machine parent. If I push the right buttons, I get the product I'm going for. If I make the right selection, automatically as I push those buttons, just boom, the product, just like a piece of candy, just falls right into place. I'm a vending machine parent. And I said it could lead to many dangerous things, and I highlighted two of them for you. One is foolish pride. Foolish pride, if you look at your children as they're growing, as they're maturing, and you see what is really God working in their life, and you look back and you think, huh, I'm quite the button pusher, right? Nobody does vending machines like me. Like, I put in my money, I push the bubble of, of course they're godly, of course they're mature, of course they're successful. I selected C3. So of course that leads to success, of course that leads to godliness. And you're taking glory away from God. God is the one who does all things that are good. He says every good and perfect gift comes from above, James 1 and verse 17. And so when we start thinking the good that we're seeing is a direct result of the decisions that we're making, the things that we chose to do and chose not to do, we ultimately heap up pride. Our heads get big. Our view of God gets small. Our view of our decisions get big. The view of God working in our children's lives gets small. And we heap up for ourselves foolish pride. And we're told in God's word that God what? Resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We don't want to be resisted by God. We want to receive his grace. We don't receive his grace by thinking much of ourselves. We receive his grace by thinking much of him. It's Proverbs 22.6, not Promise 22.6. Now it can also lead to unnecessary guilt and shame. This is for the parent who tries their best, who seeks the Lord, who wants to honor the Lord in their parenting. And they see their child or children or one of their children make choices that they wish they wouldn't make and choose ways that they did not train them to go. And the vending machine parent says, well, if I push the right buttons and I get the right product, if I got the wrong product, I must have pushed the wrong buttons. Why didn't I push the right buttons? YOLO had one shot. I couldn't just push the right buttons. And now look what happened. I'm a failure. I'm a mess. My kids are a mess. And we bear the weight of our children's sin that we weren't created to bear. In fact, God sent his son into the world as the only one who could bear the weight of sin. And so we step into, in a very real way, the place of Christ. We own that guilt. We own that shame. We own that condemnation when in reality it's not ours to own. And since it's not ours to own, we buckle under the weight of it. We receive the pain and the guilt that comes with condemnation that's not ours because we've misinterpreted a proverb as a promise. We've said, if I train them up in the way they should go, they wouldn't have departed from it. Clearly they're doing what they've been trained to do. It's my fault. And so misunderstanding Proverbs 22.6 as promise 22.6 leads you to be angry at yourself or worse, angry at what you thought the vending machine was, right? Like when the vending machine doesn't do what I want it to do, I admit sometimes I just smack it because it feels good and because I think that the, 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 the vibration might help the thing fall into place. What's well, one thing for a Three Musketeers bar 
But it's a very dangerous thing for us to not be satisfied with the performance of what we thought was a vending machine and stupid machine. And we look at God's word and we say, it doesn't work. It's broken. It's not trustworthy. I tried and it didn't work. That's a dangerous place to be. And a misunderstanding of Proverbs 22.6, as promised 22.6, can lead us to that place. So it begs the question, with all this talk of it's not a promise, it's a proverb, and God's in control, and we don't know what's going on inside the hearts of our children, it does beg the question, and I think it's appropriate to answer, does parenting even matter? Right? Does my parenting choices even matter, or can I just, like, kick back, relax, and enjoy the ride because God is sovereign and he's going to do what he's going to do. And then maybe it's just our job to like birth them, feed them, clothe them, keep them away from outlets with keys and just like see how God works in their lives and that's just the way it goes. Does, does parenting even matter? If it's not a promise and it's a proverb, who really cares? Do I just sit back, relax, enjoy the ride, have fun, go to ball games, enjoy grill outs, and just hope that things fall into place? Well, friends, that's the first point I want to make today, is that godly parents are not passive. Godly parents are not passive. Don't mistake the sovereignty of God, really in any area of your life, as a reason to just be passive. Because our walks with the Lord are not passive things. They're actual walks. We literally walk. We exert effort. We do things in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. It's not that godly parents are passive, but they are dependent Godly parents are not passive, but they are dependent. And anyone who says that godly parents are passive is, quite frankly, nuts. I mean, there's nothing passive about it. I don't know if there's anything that occupies my mind, my heart, my conversations with Sarah more than my kids, especially these days. We drove back from my in-laws yesterday, eight hours from Columbia, South Carolina. We spoke about a lot of things. The vast majority of it was our four children. Things we're encouraged about. Things we're concerned about. What do you want to do? What about this upcoming this? What about that? What about this? Talking about these things. We're not flipping out. There's some things when we're really concerned. There's some areas in which we're really encouraged. There's some areas in which we're really confused. There's no way that parenting children is a passive act. We're not called to be passive, but we are called to be dependent. And that's what I want to call to your attention today from a verse that you might say, that's not a parenting verse. And I would say, yes, it is. And you're going to listen to me. Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's not a parenting verse. If you're a parent, your kids are probably on your heart. And the word all kind of speaks to all your heart, which means that trusting in the Lord with your parenting means that this verse is something that would do well, we would do well to focus on as parents. You say, it's not about my kids. And I look at you and say, I'm not here to preach about your kids. I'm here to preach to you about your heart from God's word. Because I think that's what I need the most. I don't need methods. I don't need cookie cutter methods of this, how this works. And if you do this, you'll get that. I'm trying to chuck the vending machine aside and look at my heart as a dad before the Lord. My heart as a parent before the Lord, because before I'm a parent of my children, I'm a child of God. And I need to trust in the Lord with all my heart. Vending machine parenting is about where I put my trust. 
And when you approach a vending machine, you pick out the item you want, you insert the coins, you make the selection, you get what you want. There's not a ton of like trust, like do I trust this machine? Is it going to do what I want? But if you are, have a vending machine mentality when it comes to your parenting, uh, it's not going to take a ton of trust in God because you just say, I just push buttons and I get stuff. I just make selections and I get stuff. But if you look at the verse again, it says trust in the Lord with all your heart. That word trust means to have confidence, to be secure, to feel safe. The concept of trust challenges us to consider the source of our confidence as parents. When do you feel secure as a parent or why? Why do you feel secure or confident in a choice that you just made, in a decision you're making for your kids, in a plan that you have for your kids? It should be because you're putting your trust in the Lord. That doesn't mean you don't plan. We're going to talk about that later. That doesn't mean you don't try your best because you certainly do. But you're not putting all your eggs in the one basket of your mind and your decision making. You're trusting in God. My safety, my security, my confidence is not coming from my latest greatest decision for my kids. I make what I hope to be the greatest decision for my kids. But I'm taking it before the Lord and I'm saying I'm trusting in you with all my heart. I'm not depending. That's the next point. God calls us not to depend on our own understanding. The second part of that verse, do not lean on your own understanding. The verse lean means lean. Uh, The word lean just means to support oneself. The Bible tells us, trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. It's not safe. It's not safe. To lean on something that you think will hold you up but really can't bear the weight of your soul, of your heart, of your mind. We need to trust in the Lord, not in our own understanding. D.A. Carson says, trust and lean both suggest the physical experience of supporting yourself on something or someone in total and helpless reliance and commitment. November 1st, 1996. I'm driving, and no, I'm not driving, I'm riding in my friend's car, which was a 1976 Grand Prix. Do you remember that car? They used to make cars out of metal. This was a lot of metal. So, so this was, it's like a tank, right? I mean, huge engine, I think eight cylinders. We're driving around in this car. We pull into a gas station. It's me. Uh, I'm in the passenger. I'm riding shotgun. My friend's driving. My girlfriend at the time was riding in the back. We just left youth group. He needed gas. We pulled into a gas station. I did something I never do, because no guy does this. I left shotgun, got into the back seat, and said, I think I'm going to just sit back here and ride with you. You never do that. Nobody does that. You, you, you ride with your buddy. Like, you just don't do that. But I did that. We get gas. We leave. Five minutes later, five minutes later, my friend blows a stop sign. We get plowed into on the right side by a really fast speeding Subaru Outback. The passenger side door is folded onto the passenger seat. I'm really thankful for the providence of God. But I broke my ankle. And I had to walk around with crutches. And then after I was off the crutches, I had to walk around with a cane. I went to physical therapy, super excited to go to physical therapy because they said the first thing you start out is with a whirlpool bath. I'm like, yes, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Ice cold whirlpool bath, not cool, major letdown. But the whole time I'm in that stage of physical therapy, I have a cane 
Okay, I had this cane that I walked. I had an elevator pass. I could ride my high school elevator because I was kind of a big deal. So walking around with a cane, right? Thinking I look like the guy from Boys to Men. I really didn't. But I'm walking around with a cane and I'm leaning on that cane to support me. And if there was ever a moment where you thought, I think your ankle's getting kind of better. Okay, try leaning on it. I would fall to the ground. The cane was supporting me. I was leaning on something that could support me because I was not physically able to support myself because my left ankle was shot. That's the picture I want you to paint in your mind's eye. We lean on what we trust. I could not trust my ankle. In fact, even after it was healed, I remember like jumping off of things. I would land. It took me a long time to realize it's better, dude. I would land. Instead of just landing on both feet, I would land on my right foot before my left because this was still weak. It had to be worked back. It was a mental thing. We lean on what we trust. That's what I want you to think about. We lean on what we trust. We depend upon it for support, for safety, for security, particularly and especially when we're weak. And friends, it's in our weakest moments in life when that in which we trust is truly revealed. In our weakest moments, in our most helpless moments, when we are hurting, when we are hopeless, that's when what we truly trust in is really revealed. And the parenting process provides some of the most frequent litmus paper moments to tell us if our trust is truly in God or in something else. If our trust is truly in our own understanding or if it's truly in the Lord. It's in those moments when we're weak that we see, what do we really lean on? Because sometimes you don't even realize you're leaning on something until it's taken away from you. And you hit the ground and you hit the ground hard. And you think, oh my, I didn't realize this mattered to me so much. I didn't realize I was leaning on that. I didn't realize I was depending upon that for hope, for help, for guidance. But now it's gone. Or now that season of life is over. Or we've been led to do something different or whatever. It's gone. And I feel like I am lost. Or I feel defeated. Or that which I was putting my trust in, I didn't realize I put my trust in. But when it didn't deliver, I felt let down. I was ticked. Stupid vending machine. Trusting in God means not trusting in your own understanding. The two are inseparably linked in Proverbs 3, 5. Do you see that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in own understanding. It's not either or. We're either leaning on our own understanding or we're trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. We can't lean on both. We're going to lean on one or the other. Now, that doesn't mean we're not thinkers. Not at all. That doesn't mean that we don't try. That doesn't mean we move through life as simpletons. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to have any understanding in life. I just want to trust in the Lord. And the dumber I am, the more I'm forced to trust. That's not what God is calling us to do. That's not what historically Christians have done. That's, uh, Christians have been the, the, the greatest thinkers throughout all of time, particularly as you look back on the Puritans. The fact that we're just supposed to hide behind our Bibles and say, I'm just trusting in Jesus. I don't want to know how to do math. I don't want to know how to do other things. That's not what God has called us to do. It's not about what we know. God wants us to, under, to strive for understanding, for knowledge, for wisdom. Proverbs starts out that way. Remember these things. Choose wisdom. Forsake not the teaching of your mother. But it means we don't simply go with our gut or go with what we understand without seeing how it stands up against the word of God. We take what we understand. We take what we've been taught. We read parenting books. That's fine. We talk to other parents who are further down the road than us. That's fine. We take all that in. We say, that's really cool. Let's think about how it stands up against the word of God. 
And you say, well, I don't have to do that because I just see what happens. And I see it worked out so well for Betty and it worked out so well for Tom. So if we do this, it'll just happen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Well, I mean, I could take it for the Bible, but I mean, it said it worked out so well for them, so it's going to work out so well for us. You might still choose to do what they did or to take their counsel or to take their advice. Their advice might be firmly rooted in the word of God. Take it to the word of God so that you know you're trusting in the Lord with all your heart and not just in what Tom or Betty said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We don't go with our gut. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, remember, a proverb is a literary device. It's showing us a general truth. It's not saying, if you make a right turn, that's good. But if you make a left turn, you'll probably die. It's a picture it's painting that there's a way that seems right to me, but it might be oh so wrong. That's the picture that's being painted. There's a way that might seem right, but remember, it could actually, as right as it seems, it could be that much wrong. So take it before the Lord in prayer and looking at his word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Not every decision is a life or death decision, but we have to realize that that which seems right to us really might not be that. It might be wrong. So we take it before the Lord. We don't fret. We don't, oh, I'm too scared. I have not, now we go into analysis paralysis, right? Where we just, oh, i got to think about it and think about it and think about it. No, we take steps of faith. We move forward in our life. We move forward with our children. But we don't do that based on our own understanding. We take it before the Lord. We pray and we listen to the Lord by reading his word, seeing what he has to say, and say, does this seem best for us? If we don't do that, and what we're leaning on crumbles, we'll hit the floor hard. And it'll hurt. That's why God says, trust in the Lord. He's not going to change. Trust in the Lord. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you're leaning on your latest decision, your latest conversation, your latest opportunity, your most recent resolution to make all the difference in the world for your kids or for you, you're on shaky ground. Because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Not my latest and greatest parenting moment. That is but for a moment. It will soon be followed by some foolish example that I've probably set for my kids that I need to apologize for. But the word of God stands forever. And if you understand that God works in ways that only he can, and that you're a very important part of his plan, but you're not his total plan to reaching your kids, you'll trust in him And not be shaken even if your world is rocked in parenting or in any other way. Because you'll realize it's not all up to your button-pushing skills. You are an important part of God's plan, but not God's total plan. Because he's working and sometimes he lets us watch. And sometimes he uses us and sometimes he uses another. And sometimes you plant a seed that you think that seed fell on total rock. And then all of a sudden, years down the line, when you think that seed is gone, it blooms fruit. And it was just God's timing. We trust in the Lord with all our heart. We don't lean on our own understanding. And godly parents look to Christ to make paths straight for them and their children. Proverbs 3, verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him. So we acknowledge God in all our ways. That word acknowledge means to recognize, to admit, to confess 
So we acknowledge God in our parenting, that he's not some really helpful byproduct, but that we need God, that our children need the Lord, that my children aren't, they, well, they first need me and they kind of need God. And you say, well, no one in their right mind would ever say that. I know, but sometimes we act that way. Or we think because we have been so well-trained or so well-read or we are so sure about the path that we're on that we'll make our path straight. But if you realize what the verse says, it doesn't say that we should in all our ways acknowledge him and then straighten out your path. It says in all our ways acknowledge him and who will make our path straight? He will make our paths straight. And so we acknowledge God as we speak of our parenting plans. James 4 and verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, that's not just some spiritual platitude. Listen, what's the moral of the story is that you need to say God willing more. Everyone say it more. Say Lord willing or God willing at least five times and call me in the morning. That's not, that's not what we're trying to say. But there's a mentality that my plans, we need, this is the mentality we have. My plans are just my plans. Now, I hold to them. I love them. I wouldn't make them if I didn't like them. But my plans are just my plans. And I make my plans, but I acknowledge that, you know what, Lord, I like these plans. We're making these plans. These are the steps that we're going to take. If you will, they will come to pass. I'm not gonna, I can't force this to come to pass. I am planning. The Lord rewards good planning. Proverbs is full of verses that talk about diligent planning. I always like to say, it's, when in premarital counseling, I say it's always better to say what if than what now. It's better to say what if when it's not a reality than what now. So at least we have something to lean back on. It's good to plan. It's good to prepare. But we need to remember that our plans and our preparations are never going to take the place of our need for a holy God. And leaning on him for protection, him for guidance, him for in-the-moment grace in that time of need. We need to acknowledge God in our plans. Sometimes people will ask me... if, if serving in student ministry served Sarah and I at all in being parents. So I had the, the privilege and honor and joy of serving in student ministry for 14 years. And people will say, did that help you? As, as, like, how did that serve you as, as parents? Did it help you? Did it scare you? <laughs> did, it, did, it, did it serve you well? Did it frighten you? Like, how, what effect did that have on, on you? Well, here's the one thing I could say. It doesn't prepare you. There's nothing like your kids. Right? There's nothing like your kids. It does prepare us. I do think it prepared us circumstantially. And by that I mean we'll face things in parenting and say, okay, I, I've seen this before. I've seen other parents wrestle this way or struggle with this. I've seen things that they've done that have worked, things that they've done that haven't worked. We can draw on a host of examples. You probably know dozens of people. I probably know hundreds. That's real, but really, in the, in the world of billions, it's really not that much. But 14 years of dealing with different things in two different churches and speaking elsewhere and talking to different parents and counseling situations, I have quite the Rolodex to look back on. Now, if you're under 40, a Rolodex... Is a card catalog type thing that holds your contacts. I'm serious. Some of you are looking at, you're Googling it right now. Rolodex. How do you spell that? How do you, X? Card catalog of sorts that's usually alphabetized. It has the names of people or businesses and information about them. You write down information on the, about contacts. I used to have one at work when I worked a secular job that had the last contact I had for them and where we left off and when I need to follow up with them. That's your Rolodex. So I like to tell parents that here's one way that Student ministry has served me. I can help you make your case. I can help you make your case. What does that mean? Well, you might uh, think, 
you know what? I think the best choice for, let's talk about school. I think the best choice for our kids is for them to go to a Christian school. I want them to be taught by other people who love the Lord, who hold the Bible as true and authoritative. I want them to hear things through a biblical worldview so that they're not just thinking that this is apart from God. So I want them to be around other people who are come from other kids who come from families that are at least similar to ours, at least in the fact that they love the Lord, because they probably wouldn't send their kids to a Christian school if they didn't want that. So I, want, I think that'll really set them up for success. I say, okay, I can go to my Rolodex and I can pull out an example of a family that proves your point. Yep. Here's an example. It worked for them. Be encouraged. And then someone else says, you know what? I think the best place for our kids is going to be public school. I want them interacting with people who are different from them. I want to be able to process what they heard throughout the day and say, what did you hear that you liked? What did you hear that's different from what we say? What are you glad happened today? What do you wish didn't happen today? And have that conversation with them on a somewhat regular basis so they can process life and culture. I think that will best prepare them. We can lay a foundation. They can get used to interacting with people who are not like them at an early age. I can say, okay, hold on. Open my Rolodex and say, yeah, that worked really well for them. Someone else says, you know what? I actually think that, you know, with the little time that we have with our kids, I think that we're probably the best. My, my husband and I, my, my wife and I, we're the, best parent, we're the best teachers for our children. So we want to keep them with us as long as we can because they're going to spend a whole lot of time away from us. And we want to pour into them uh, godliness and academic excellence as best as possible and really have that time with them so that we can enjoy that time together, that we can equip them, that we can help them. I can say, great, that sounds like a great idea. Hold on, I got a little, yep. That worked really well for them. So I can help you make your case because there's not a case to be made. Because I can also, there's another part of the Rolodex where you can then throw stones at the other two camps and say, here's why I don't want to do that. I could say, oh yeah, I could, yeah, yeah, that, that confirms your fears. This happened this because this person made that decision and she went off to, you know, just decide to mother a nation. So you don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't want to do that either. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't want to do that because this person rebelled against all that training. Yeah, here's an example of that. There's not a case to be made. And if there's one way that it's been helpful to be in student ministry is it's taken me out of what I call the echo chamber. See, because you live in an echo chamber, probably surrounded by other people who have chosen lots of things that you have done. And so you say, well, all my friends agree with me. Well, that's because you hang out with all public school parents. Well, all my friends agree with me. That's because you hang out with all Christian school parents. Well, all my friends see this. Well, that's because you probably hang out with mostly homeschool parents, mostly Christian school parents, mostly public school parents. Like you, you're in an echo chamber. You say, well, lots of people think the way I think. And because you homeschool, you read homeschooling blogs. And because you public school, you read how to parent best with a parent school. And because you go to Christian school, you tend to, you don't, you're not reading in the other areas, nor should you, because you only have so much time in a day. So being able to interact with different families, I've seen ways work really well, and I've seen them really crash. And I've seen people change course, and that work out really for their better, and not so much. And had, so being able to be out of that echo chamber and not saying, most people say what I say, is helpful. Because there's not a case to be made. And we do plan. We do plan. But we say if the Lord wills. I'm making this plan realizing that I am not the captain of my soul. I'm not the captain of my children's soul. I'm doing what's best for them in my finite mind. And this will work out if the Lord wills. And I trust that the Lord will lead me to make a change if I need to make a change, but I'm going to go before him. Parents are not passive, but they are dependent, and I'm trusting in him with my plans. We make our plans with a constant dependency on God, and we acknowledge him in so doing. 
We say Lord willing, not just to sound good and Christian and kind and nice, but as an acknowledgement that we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we do know someone who does, and that is God. We acknowledge God. In all your ways, acknowledge him. We acknowledge God by expressing parenting prayers. Uh, Philippians 4 and verse 6, that's not a parenting verse, is to do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I don't think vending machine parents are praying parents. I don't think vending machine parents are praying parents. Why? Well, you tend to approach a vending machine with quite a bit of confidence because it's just a vending machine. All you got to do is push the right button. It's really not a big deal. But when you realize what you're dealing with is the heart and mind and soul of an individual that you yourself cannot ultimately change, that you can influence, that you can pave a way and define it as normal, but you realize, I can't control this. That will drive you to your knees. That will take you before the Lord in a way that perhaps is unlike anything else, that you go before the Lord and realize, I am responsible, but yet I am not able. That responsibility is not synonymous with ability. You do realize that, right? Man robs a bank, takes the money, gives it to a friend down the street. He then takes it 10 miles down the road. The original guy is responsible for the money, but is not able to return it. Responsibility is not synonymous with Ability. I'm responsible to raise my kids in the way they should go. I'm responsible, but I'm not able to change their hearts. So that's daunting. Lord, you've given me responsibility, but not ability. But God says, but I have the ability. Talk to me about it. I can do this. I can do this. Lord, I can't do this. He says, true. I can do this. I can reach them. I can reach them when they're young. I can reach them when they're old. But I only have like 18 years where I'm their primary influence in their life. I know. I'm like God. I will always be able to reach them. I can do this. Does that mean we don't care? Eh, God can. No, it means we care so much that we look to God and we say, Oh my God in heaven, only you can do this. I acknowledge you in all my ways. I pray to you to reach my kids. But vending machine parents don't approach parenting that way. Say, well, we've made this choice, so it'll produce this outcome. We've chosen to do this. We've chosen to discipline in this way. We've chosen to school in this way. We've chosen to involve them in this many things, not involve them in this way. So it's clearly going to lead this way. And that much confidence in plans usually yields very little prayer. Godly parents plan and acknowledge God in so doing. And one of the ways they do that is by praying. We pray, yes, for our children, but just as much, if not more, that God would help my heart as a father, that God would help my heart as a dad, that God would help my wife's heart as a mom, that our idols would not get in the way of our desires to see our kids raised in the right way. Because I've got a flat ton of them that I need to be ripping down. So my prayers are not just, Lord, help this kid, because I've kind of arrived, and I think you agree with that. It's help me, because I need to be changed in this process as I'm seeking for my kids to be changed in this process. We acknowledge God with our plans, with our prayers, and by entrusting him with your paths and those of your children. Proverbs 3 and verse 6, the last part of it says, he will make your path straight. Again, the verse doesn't say trust in the Lord, lean on your own understanding, acknowledge him in all things, and then make a straight path. It says he will make your path straight. You and I are told to trust. You and I are warned not to lean on our own understanding. We're told to acknowledge him, and then we're told that he will make our path straight, and the same goes for our kids. We teach and model trust in God, not in self. 
a constant acknowledgement of him and a belief that he will make a straight path. That's process-centered parenting versus product-centered parenting. We're trusting in God as we go through this process. We're not teaching our kids, here's why we do this, kids, because if we do the other thing, we'll end up like the Joneses. You're not a Jones, you're a LaRufa. Here's why we do this. If we do this other path, we'll end up like the so-and-sos. Oh, you don't want to do this because there's evil over here. And we are, we're not teaching our kids this fear-based living through life. We are trusting in the Lord as we make our decisions, whatever decisions they are, trusting, Lord, you will make the path straight as long as we trust in you, acknowledge you in all things, don't lean on our own understanding. If I do that, you'll make my path straight. If my children do that, I know you'll make their path straight. Thanks be to God, it's not up to me to have to straighten a crooked path. Because I, I can't do that for myself, much less my kids. God helps me. God makes the path straight. Keep your finger in Proverbs 3 and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see a similar principle outlined for us by the Apostle Paul as he's speaking to the church at Corinth. First Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 5. He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, this is Paul, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So you notice Paul, he's not removing his, his part in the process. He's not saying it didn't matter. He's not saying Paul and Apollos didn't do anything. No, no, he's saying here, here, it is what it is. I planted, Apollos watered, God caused the increase. God caused the growth. Verse 7, he says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So he's like, it's not really about the planter and the waterer. I mean, we do our things. We do so in a way that is honoring to the Lord, and we plant seeds as we're supposed to and hope that someone else comes along and waters them as well, or we do the watering. But ultimately, the growth, the fruit, the produce is going to come from God. And I love how he says, verse 7, Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. That's pretty clear. Right? The person who plants, the person who waters, they're not anything. It's God who gives the growth. Then verse 8, let's do the math. He who plants and he who waters are one. Okay, what does that mean? Well, the previous verse, it says that the person who plants and the person who waters is zero. He who plants and he who waters, it's like a Boolean logic proof. The person who plants and the person who waters is one. One times zero is zero. So he who plants, each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. And that's an important verse, verse 9. We're God's workers, but you know what? The building, the field, the fruit, that's God's. That's God's. We do work. We plant seeds. We seek to spread the gospel. We seek to share. But God causes the increase. We don't know what's going on inside the hearts of our kids. Just like with evangelism, we don't know what's going on inside the person that you just shared with, inside the person that you just gave a tract to, inside the person that you just invited to church. But we do it as much as possible because we trust that God is going to work. And so it's like this illustration that I've used in in student ministry before, and I've actually used it here as well. It's like these light bulbs are all out, 
and it is plugged in. There's power going to this, and this is really old, and there's a lot of exposed wire. So if I pass out, just pray. But these light bulbs are all out. Why are they out? So they're probably burnt out. They could be. They also could not be twisted in all the way, right? So how do we know which ones to twist in? How do we know what's going on? I can't see inside the bulb. I don't know. I don't know what's going on inside there, and I want to make sure that I'm really strategic with my bulb twisting because I only have so many bulb twisting days. So how do, I, how do I know what to do? Well, you know what I do? I just twist every bulb, and I see what is going on. And, oh, that's going to hurt. How many of you have a kid like that? It's a really, this is like 10 years old, the same bulbs. I'm not even kidding. They rarely get used. Stop it, would you? This actually is really helpful. It's working. It's not working. I think it's working. I think it's not working. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. You know what I do? I twist bulbs to the glory of God. God's called me to twist bulbs, to connect them to something powerful. And he says, you know what? I'll cause the increase. I planted, Apollos watered. It could be your mother planted and I watered. But God's going to give the increase. It's up to him. It's up to me to plant. It's up to me to twist the bulbs. What goes on inside the bulbs? God. What about you? Responsibility, ability, sovereignty, man's responsibility. Wrestling through these things is important to do. Please, 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 don't just think through these things. Oh, they're so deep and so high, I cannot attain them. It's true. Who can know the mind of God? But think through these things enough so that you can realize, I need to be dependent upon God and I need to try my best. I'm not going to land in the ditch that it's all up to God and I do nothing. I'm not going to land in the ditch where it's all up to me and God can't do anything. Think through these things. Lean into that tension realizing that God is sovereign and able to save and I am responsible to pave a way for my children, but I'm leaving the product to him. Praise be to God that I am part of the story, and I believe an important part of the story, but that the straightening of my children's paths, the light that would come to them, the energy that would come to them, is not solely up to me. I'm paving a way. I'm defining normal. I'm training them in the way they should go, but only he can make their paths straight. Finally, godly parents model Christ by leading by example because more is caught than taught. And that's an important thing for us to remember that Jesus' teaching was never far from his example. Dr. Luke, writing the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 1, says, In the first book, O Theophilus, referring back to his gospel, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to what? Do and teach, actions and words. 
Uh, John 8, Christ himself says, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many people believed in him. It's not all about what we say, but it's about what we do. In fact, it's probably more about what we do. The Bible inseparably links godly leading with godly living. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul says, Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. 1 Peter 5, 3, speaking of elders of the church, says, Don't be domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. The writer of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 tells the people, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, and consider what? The outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Do not only what they say, but do what they do. Philippians 4 and verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Titus 2 verse 7. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Godly living is inseparably linked with godly teaching. The two go hand in hand together. And lastly, I would say this. I think parenting is perhaps more about our everyday example than anything else. Our everyday example than, everything, than anything else. Listen, I hope you have times of family worship. It's going to look different for everyone. Some people do it daily. Some people do it weekly. Some people do it monthly. Some people involve singing. Some people are not musically inclined. They think they'll raise the dead if they sing, so they don't sing. Some people listen to a song. Some people read the Bible, memorize the Bible. They use a curriculum. They use a children's storybook Bible. Potato, potato, you do you, boo-boo. I hope you do something that involves family worship. I hope you do something that involves the scriptures on a regular basis. I hope there's, there's, there's scripture memory going on in your own life and that your kids would model that, that you would train them to memorize the word of God in some way, shape, or form. I hope that prayer is an important part of your life, but your children can't always see you praying, but I hope they know that you do pray and that you do involve them in that. But listen to me. Your everyday example, I think, I think matters and models more to your kids than any one of those formal times of teaching. Don't ditch those formal times, but realize it's the everyday, seemingly mundane example that matters more than anything. And that it's standing behind that person at the cash register in the Kroger who decides to pay with a check. You know him? And you're in a rush, and you thought that this was the shorter line, but then all of a sudden the person needs to get out of They messed up the check. They rip it up, and they put it over here. And you're punching yourself in the face for relief. So it's how you respond in that moment that your children see. And they're not going like this, mm, Dad, show me your ways. How do you respond to this person who's on their third check? How do you, how do you respond? Why are you red? Like, it's not, it's not that it's conscious. It's very subconscious. It just happens. It's how I respond to my wife when I have been wrong and my children know I've been wrong. Do I ask for forgiveness? Or do I not do that because I think it'll hinder the example I'm setting for them? They need to know that I'm in charge. How long does it take me to ask for forgiveness? Because I want my kids to ask for forgiveness like pretty quickly. What am I modeling? It's the everyday example. It brings to mind a portion of the neighborhood I grew up in. On the east side of the neighborhood, right along 164th Street, there was a hill that we affectionately referred to as Suicide Hill. 
I don't know what you think of my upbringing. Last week I'm talking about a smoke filled bowling alley. This week it's Suicide Hill. It really was a very lovely upbringing. But anyway, Suicide Hill, maybe 50 yards by 50 yards, big square. And it was called Suicide Hill because at the bottom of the hill was a street. And this was a really fun hill to go down on a sled. It was pretty big. And it was really fun to ride your bike down and like peel out at the end, try not to hit the parked cars, right? Because that's a lot of metal and you're only so strong. So Suicide Hill, because if you didn't bail on the sled in time, you might die. Now, I don't think anyone actually did, but that's what we called it. Or if you went between the cars, you'd go out into a four-lane road. So this is where we <laughs> went sleigh riding. This, this is how we rolled. So we called it Suicide Hill. Now, try to picture this. So you come down these steps. The hill is over here. There's a street at the bottom of the hill, and that itself is also a hill. So hill, hill. Now, there's a bus stop over here. So you can come down the steps down the hill, and then walk up the hill to the bus stop. But if you remember from, like, math, the right triangle, right, the hypotenuse is shorter than the sum of two sides, so it's faster to cut across, right? So people would always cut. There's no sign This is like, don't walk on the grass. We would just quickly cut across to go and catch the bus. So you'd cut across the hill. Instead of walking down here and then up there, it's like, well, it's just faster. Everybody cut across the hill. Do you know what that eventually did? It formed a path. Do you know how much planning went into forming that path? None. How many engineers? How many architects? Landscaping experts? Nope. A path was formed by people doing their everyday thing. Walking to the bus. Walking back from the bus. That's how a path was formed. I think parenting is more about our everyday example by us just living our lives than anything else. Which drives me to pray. It has me thinking about things that I did yesterday that I think, oh man, I wish I'd, I wonder if I handled that right. How did I, what did they pick up when I said that? It wasn't wildly off, but do they think that I'm, because I can't keep, gathering my kids, say, hey, listen, when I was standing at Starbucks and I ordered that and maybe I rolled my eyes because they asked the question that I thought was really kind of dumb, that was kind of self. I can't do that. I just can't do that. You can't do that. And I have to look to God and say, Lord, would you help me to trust in you with all my heart? Would you help me to not lean on my own understanding? Would you help me to acknowledge you in all ways? And would you make my path straight? Because whether I want to or not, my life right now is forming a path. And parts of it are crooked. And aren't you glad that he can make our paths straight? And so that's why we look at this verse when it comes to parenting. Because we realize that as we walk, we're making a path. Deuteronomy 11, verse 19 says, Teach them, speaking of the word of God, to your children talking of them when you are sitting in your house, talking of them during your formal times of teaching and on special occasions. If you look at the things that are listed there, they're very normal things. Talk of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you're laying down, when you rise up. Those are everyday things. That's just how we live our life, right? When should you be speaking of these things? When should you be modeling these things? As much as possible in your everyday life, make that path and then trust in the Lord to make it straight for his glory and for the good of our children and our own hearts. 
14 years of student ministry does not make me an expert on anything. It just means 14 years of student ministry. It is somehow encouraging, though, um, to see what I called stubbornness in that 13-year-old student be conviction in that 23-year-old young man and how God has redeemed that and used that for his glory. It's somewhat helpful to see the kid who just was always thinking outside of the box that I tried to so desperately form at camp. Like just, it's a simple, just here are the boundaries. And well, what if we do this? Can we maybe think about that? And it's like, oh, just one week of camp, just follow the rules, just stay in the box. It's like, just try it. It's really not that hard. It's a simple rule. We don't have many rules. The few rules we have, we take seriously. Well, I was wondering if maybe we could reconsider this. Oh, my gosh. And that's the successful entrepreneur who was always thought outside of the box, and God's using it for his glory and for the good of other people. It's interesting to see the story pan out and to remember that we're always in the middle of it. You might have a seven-year-old right now, and you look down the way, and you see another seven-year-old who's perfectly compliant, and you're thinking that your kids can't sit still for 30 seconds. In 20 years, your kid grows up to be like some multitasking engineer and hires the compliant kid to be their office manager. You never know how the Lord might use the temperaments that are within your children. I'm not saying don't try to curb that. I'm not saying don't try to discipline them. I'm just saying you never know what the Lord is doing in the hearts and minds of our kids. But we just twist the bulbs and we trust that what goes on in there is in God's hands. And... The class clown that kids enjoy being around might become a leader that people follow to Fort Thomas. (laughs) You just never know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make our paths straight. Father in heaven, even coming to you today, calling you Father on Father's Day reminds me that in a weird way I share a a title with you. I'm the father of my children. You are my heavenly father. What a high calling. It's one that I can't attain by myself. I need your help every day. Help each of us to trust in you with all our heart. Show us the areas in which we're trusting in something weaker, something less fulfilling, something that ultimately won't deliver. Would you be so kind to show us that before it crumbles and we hit the ground hard? And Lord, for those of us who are just getting up from having hit the ground hard, Give mercy, give help, give, give grace in this our time of need, we pray, and do it for your name's sake, for your glory, because we need you. Bless us for the fame of your name and for the spreading of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.